0: Hi and welcome to another episode of A Lawyer Speaks. This is your host Aman Chaudhry, a lawyer, traveler, blogger and a writer. In this episode, I will be talking about one of the most horrifying and recent human right issue, fall of Afghanistan to the hands of Taliban. We all are well aware of the gravity of the situation in the country and cannot even try to feel what those poor Afghans must be going through. But Little do we know the story behind this gruesome act of war. So brace yourself and listen to the story behind the fall of Afghanistan. The narrative can be traced back to December 24, 1979 when Soviet tanks rumbled across the Darya river and into Afghanistan, ostensibly to restore stability following a coup that brought to par a pair of Marxist-Leninist political groups the People's Khalk Party and the banner Parcham Party, but the Soviet presence touched off a nationwide rebellion by fighters known as the Mujahideen, who drew upon Islam as a uniting source of inspiration. These fighters won extensive covert backing from Pakistan, Saudi Arabia and the United States and were joined in their fight by foreign volunteers who soon formed a network known as Al-Qaeda to coordinate their efforts. The guerrilla war against the Soviet forces led to their departure in 1989. In the Soviet's absence, the Mujahideen ousted Afghanistan's Soviet-backed government and established a transitional government. The Mujahideen were politically fragmented, however, and in 1994, armed conflict escalated. The Taliban emerged and in 1996, seized Kabul it instituted a severe interpretation of Islamic law that, for example, forbade female education and prescribed the severing of hands or even execution as punishment for petty crimes. That same year, Al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden was welcomed to Afghanistan having been expelled from Sudan and established his organization's headquarters there. The next instance can be tracked the period of 1999 to 2001. On October 15, 1999, the United Nations Security Council adopted Resolution 1267, creating the so-called Al-Qaeda and Taliban Sanctions Committee, which links the two groups as terrorist entities and imposes sanctions on their funding, travel and arms shipments. The UN move follows a period of ascendancy for Al-Qaeda and its leader Osama bin Laden. On September 9, 2001, Ahmed Shah Masood, the commander of the Northern Alliance, an anti-Taliban coalition was assassinated by Al-Qaeda operatives. The killing of Masood, a master of guerrilla warfare known as the Lion of the Panjshir, deals a serious blow to the anti-Taliban resistance. Terrorism experts believe his assassination assured Osama bin Laden protection by the Taliban after the 9-11 attacks. Expert Peter Bergen later calls Masood's assassination the curtain-raiser for the attacks on New York City and Washington DC. Next came the most infamous attacks in the history of the world, which were the 9-11 attacks. On 11 September 2001, Al-Qaeda operatives hijacked four commercial airliners, crashing them into the World Trade Center in New York and the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. A fourth plane crashes in a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Close to 3,000 people die in these attacks. Although Afghanistan is the base for Al-Qaeda, none of the 19 hijackers are Afghan nationals. Mohammed Atta, an Egyptian, led the group and 15 of the hijackers originated from Saudi Arabia. President George W. Bush vows to win the war against terrorism and later zeroes in on Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan. On 18 September 2001, President George Bush signs into law a joint resolution authorizing the use of force against those responsible for attacking the United States on 9-11. This joint resolution will later be cited by the Bush administration as legal rationale for its decision to take sweeping measures to combat terrorism, from invading Afghanistan to eavesdropping on US citizens without a court order. On 7th October 2001, the US military, with British support, begins a bombing campaign against Taliban forces, officially launching Operation Enduring Freedom. Canada, Australia, Germany, and France pledge future support. The war's early phase mainly involves US air strikes on al-Qaeda and Taliban forces that are assisted by a partnership of about 1000 US special forces, the Northern Alliance, and ethnic Pashtun anti-Taliban forces. The first wave of conventional ground forces arrives 12 days later. Most of the ground combat is between the Taliban and its Afghan opponents. In November 2001, The Taliban regime unravels rapidly after its loss at Mazar-e-Sharif on November 9th to forces loyal to Abdul Rashid Dostum, an ethnic Uzbek military leader. Over the next week, Taliban strongholds crumble after coalition and Northern Alliance offensives on Tolakan, Bamiyan, Herat, Kabul, and Jalalabad. On 14 November 2001, The UN Security Council passes Resolution 1378 calling for a central role for the United Nations in establishing a transitional administration and inviting Member States to send peacekeeping forces to promote stability and aid delivery. After tracking Al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden to the well-equipped Tora Bora Cave complex southeast of Kabul, Afghan militias engage in a fierce, two-week battle with Al-Qaeda militants starting from 3rd December and ending on 17th December. It results in a few hundred deaths and the eventual escape of Bin Laden, who is thought to have left for Pakistan on horseback on 16th December, which was just a day before Afghan forces capture 20 of his remaining men. Despite intelligence pointing to Bin Laden's presence in Tora Bora, US forces do not lead the assault which is carried out by a ragtag Afghan contingent led by Hazrat Ali, Haji Zaman and Haji Zahir. After the fall of Kabul in November 2001, the United Nations invites major Afghan factions, most prominently the Northern Alliance and a group led by the former King to a conference in Bonn, Germany. On 5th December 2001, the factions signed the Bonn Agreement endorsed by UN Security Council Resolution 1383. The agreement, reportedly reached with substantial Iranian diplomatic help because of Iran's support for the Northern Alliance faction, installs Hamid Karzai as interim administration head and creates an international peacekeeping force to maintain security in Kabul. The Bonn Agreement is followed by UN Security Council Resolution 1386 on 20th December which establishes the International Security Assistance Force or ISAF. The end of the Taliban regime is generally tied to this date which is 9th December 2001 when the Taliban surrender Kandahar and Taliban leader Mullah Omar flees the city, leaving it under tribal law administered by Pashtun leaders. Despite the official fall of the Taliban, However, Al-Qaeda leaders continue to hide out in the mountains. In March 2002, Operation Anaconda, the first major ground assault and the largest operation since Tora Bora, is launched against an estimated 800 Al-Qaeda and Taliban fighters in the Shahi Kot valley south of the city of Garde's Paktia province. Nearly 2,000 US and 1,000 Afghan troops battle the militants. Despite the operation's size However, Anaconda does not represent a broadening of the war effort. Instead, Pentagon planners begin shifting military and intelligence resources away from Afghanistan in the direction of Saddam Hussein's Iraq, which is increasingly mentioned as a chief US threat in the war on terror. On seventeenth April 2002, President George Bush calls for the reconstruction of Afghanistan in a speech at the Virginia Military Institute. By helping to build an Afghanistan that is free from this evil and is a better place in which to live, we are working in the best traditions of George Marshall. He says evoking the post-World War II Marshall Plan that revived Western Europe. But the United States and the international community do not come close to Marshall Plan like reconstruction spending for Afghanistan. Hamid Karzai, chairman of Afghanistan's interim administration since December 2001, is picked to head the country's transitional government. His selection comes during an emergency Loya Jirga assembled in Kabul, attended by 1,550 delegates from Afghanistan's 364 districts, which happened in June 2002. Karzai, leader of the powerful the tribe of Durrani Pashtuns returned to Afghanistan from Pakistan after the 9-11 attacks to organize Pashtun resistance to the Taliban. The US military creates a civil affairs framework to coordinate redevelopment with UN and non-governmental organizations and to expand the authority of the Kabul government. The so-called Provincial Reconstruction Teams or PRTs are stood up first in Gardes in November followed by Bamiyan, Kunduz, Mazar-e-Sharif, Kandahar and Herat. Command for individual PRTs is eventually handed over to NATO states. While credited with improving security for aid agencies, the model is not universally praised. Concern mounts that the PRT system lacks central controlling authority, is disorganized and creates what a U.S. Institute of Peace report calls an ad-hoc approach to security and development. On 1st May 2003, during a briefing with reporters in Kabul, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld declares an end to major combat. The announcement coincides with President George Bush's mission-accomplished declaration of an end to fighting in Iraq. Rumsfeld says President Bush, US Central Command Chief Gen. Tommy Franks, and Afghan President Hamid Karzai have concluded that we are at a point where we clearly have moved from major combat activity to a period of stability and stabilization and reconstruction and activities. There are only 8,000 US soldiers stationed in Afghanistan. It is predicted that the transition from combat to reconstruction will open the door for many aid organizations The North Atlantic Treaty Organization assumes control of International Security Forces in Afghanistan, expanding NATO ISAF's role across the country. It is NATO's first operational commitment outside of Europe. Originally tasked with securing Kabul and its surrounding areas, NATO expands in September 2005, July 2006 and October 2006. The number of ISAF troops grows accordingly from an initial 5,000 to around 65,000 troops from 42 countries including all 28 NATO member states. In 2006, ISAF assumes command of the international military forces in eastern Afghanistan from the US-led coalition and also becomes more involved in intensive combat operations in southern Afghanistan. An assembly of 502 Afghan delegates agrees on a constitution for Afghanistan, creating a strong presidential system intended to unite the country's various ethnic groups. The act is seen as a positive step towards democracy. Afghans have seized the opportunity provided by the United States and its international partners to lay the foundation for democratic institutions and provide a framework for national elections, declares U.S. ambassadors to Afghanistan Zalmay Khalilzad in January 2004. On October 9, 2004, in historic national balloting, Karzai becomes the first democratically elected head of Afghanistan. Voters turn out in high numbers despite threats of violence and intimidation. Karzai wins with 55% of the vote, while his closest rival, former Education Minister Yunus Kanuni, Polls 16%. Karzai's election victory is marred by accusations of fraud by his opponents and by the kidnapping of three foreign UN election workers by a militant group. But the election is nonetheless hailed as a victory for the fragile nation. Afghans had not gone to the polls since 1969 when they cast ballots in parliamentary elections during the reign of King Mohammed Zahir Shah. On October 29, 2004, signalling the persistent challenges facing the US-led coalition in Afghanistan, Osama bin Laden releases a videotaped message three weeks after the country's presidential election and just days before the US polls in which George Bush will win re-election. In remarks aired on the Arab television network Al Jazeera, Bin Laden taunts the Bush administration and takes responsibility for the attacks of 9-11-2001. We want to restore freedom to our nation just as you lay waste to our nation," Bin Laden says. On 23 May 2005, Afghan President Hamid Karzai and US President George Bush issue a joint declaration that pronounces their respective countries' strategic partners. The declaration gives. US forces access to Afghan military facilities to prosecute the war against international terror and the struggle against violent extremism. The alliance's goal, the agreement says, is to strengthen US-Afghan ties and help ensure Afghanistan's long-term security, democracy and prosperity. Moreover, the agreement calls for Washington to help organize, train, equip and sustain Afghan security forces as Afghanistan develops the capacity to undertake this responsibility. And to continue to rebuild the country's economy and political democracy. In September 2005, more than 6 million Afghans turned out to vote for the Wolesi Jirga Council of People, the Meshrano Jirga Council of Elders and Local Councils considered the most democratic elections ever in Afghanistan, nearly half those casting ballots are women, viewed as a sign of political progress in a highly patriarchal society where 68 out of 249 seats are set aside for female members of Afghanistan's lower house of parliament and 23 out of 102 are reserved in the upper house. However, in July 2006, violence increases across the country during the summer months with intense fighting erupting in the south in July. The number of suicide attacks quintuples from 27 in 2005 to 139 in 2006, while remotely detonated bombings more than double to 1677. Despite a string of recent election successes, some experts blame a faltering central government for the spike in attacks. As with most insurgencies, the critical precondition is the collapse of governance," says Afghanistan expert Seth G. Jones. Jones and other experts point to the many Afghans who lack basic services, the government's difficulty setting up its police forces, and the lack of international forces to assist with security. As the NATO summit in Riga, rifts emerge among member states on troop commitments to Afghanistan. NATO Secretary-General Jab D. Hoop Scheffer sets a target of 2008 for the Afghan National Army to begin to take control of security. I would hope that by 2008 we will have made considerable progress, he says, with a more stable political architecture in place and with a strong interface between NATO and the civilian agencies and effective, trusted Afghan security forces will gradually take control. Leaders of the 26 countries agree to remove some national restrictions on how, when and where forces can be used. But friction continues, with violence against NGOs increasing, U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert Gates criticises NATO countries in late 2007 for not sending more soldiers. Our progress in Afghanistan is real but it is fragile, Gates says. At this time, many allies are unwilling to share the risks, commit their resources and follow through on collective commitments to this mission and to each other. As a result, we risk allowing what has been achieved in Afghanistan to slip away. In May 2007, a notorious Taliban military commander Mullah Dadullah is killed in a joint operation by Afghan, US and NATO forces in the south of Afghanistan. Dadullah is believed to have been a leader of guerrilla forces in the war in Helmand province, deploying suicide bombers and ordering the kidnapping of Westerners. He once told the BBC that hundreds of suicide bombers awaited his command to launch an offensive against foreign troops. On 22 August 2008, Afghan and UN investigations find that errant fire from a US gunship killed dozens of Afghan civilians in the Shindan district of western Herat province, drawing condemnation from President Hamid Karzai and bolstering Taliban claims that coalition forces are unable to protect the population. US military officials dispute the death toll in this incident as well as claims that a separate incident in Farah province left as many as 140 civilians dead. After being named top US commander in Afghanistan in mid-2009, General Stanley A. McChrystal orders an overhaul of US air strike procedures. We must avoid the trap of winning tactical victories but suffering strategic defeats, by causing civilian casualties or excessive damage and thus alienating the people," the general writes. In February 2009, new US President Barack Obama announces plans to send 17,000 more troops to the war zone. Obama reaffirms campaign statements that Afghanistan is the more important US front against terrorist forces. He says the United States will stick to a timetable to draw down most combat forces from Iraq by the end of 2011. As of January 2009, the Pentagon has 37,000 troops in Afghanistan, roughly divided between US and NATO commands. Reinforcements focus on countering a resurgent Taliban and stemming the flow of foreign fighters over the Afghan-Pakistan border in the south. In march 2009 president obama announces a new strategy for the war effort linking success in afghanistan to a stable pakistan the core goal of the strategy as outlined in an interagency white paper is to disrupt dismantle and defeat al-qaeda and its safe havens in pakistan and to prevent their return to pakistan or afghanistan the strategy urges the passage of increased aid to Pakistan and a strict standard of measuring progress in fighting Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Plans also call for the deployment of an additional 4,000 soldiers to help train the Afghan army and police force. In April 2009, senior US military officials and commanders, altering course from the Bush administration, call on NATO notions to supply non-military assets to Afghanistan. Officials stress the need for NATO members to step up in building Afghan civil society, such as providing resources for provincial reconstruction teams or PRTs. A two-day NATO summit in early April ends with a promise by NATO nations to send an additional 5,000 troops to train the Afghan army and police force and to provide security for the country's august presidential election on 11th may 2009 secretary of defense robert gates replaces the top u.s commander in afghanistan general david d mckinnon with counter counterinsurgency and special operations guru general stanley a McChrystal. mckinnon's removal comes 11 months after he assumed command of NATO forces in Afghanistan. Gates says the Pentagon needs fresh thinking and fresh eyes on the Afghanistan war at a time when many analysts say operations there are spiraling out of control. In July 2009, US Marines launch a major offensive in southern Afghanistan, representing a major test for the US military's new counter-insurgency strategy. The offensive involving 4,000 marines is launched in response to a growing Taliban insurgency in the country's southern provinces, especially Helmand province. The operation focuses on restoring government services, bolstering local police forces and protecting civilians from Taliban incursion. By August 2009, U.S. forces are to number between 60,000 and 68,000. In November 2009, after more than two months of uncertainty following a disputed presidential election on August 20, President Hamid Karzai wins another term. The August 20 election, which pitted Karzai against top contenders Abdullah Abdullah and Ashraf Ghani, was marred by fraud allegations. An investigation by the UN-backed Electoral Complaints Commission finds Karzai won only 49.67% of the vote, below the 50% plus 1 threshold needed to avoid a runoff. Under international pressure, Karzai agrees to a runoff vote on 7th November. But a week before the runoff, Karzai's main rival Abdullah pulls out and Karzai is declared the winner. Concerns over Karzai's legitimacy grow and the United States and other international partners call for improved governance. U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton ties all future civilian aid to greater efforts by the Karzai administration to combat corruption. Nine months after renewing the U.S. commitment to the Afghan war effort, President Obama announces a major escalation of the U.S. mission on 1st December 2009. In a nationally televised speech, the President commits an additional 30,000 forces to the fight on top of the 68,000 in place. These forces, Obama says, will increase our ability to train competent Afghan security forces and to partner with them so that more Afghans can get into the fight and they will help create the conditions for the United States to transfer responsibility to the Afghans. The next phase starting from 2010 saw major incidents happening in the span of two to three years. On 23rd June 2010, General Stanley McChrystal is relieved of his post as commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan following a controversial Rolling Stone article in which he and his aides were quoted criticizing the administration. President Barack Obama nominates General David Patricius, head of the military's Central Command and architect of the 2007 Iraq Surge, to replace McChrystal. In November 2010, at a summit in Lisbon, NATO member countries sign a declaration agreeing to hand over full responsibility of security in Afghanistan to Afghan forces by the end of 2014. The transition process is set to begin in July 2011 with local security forces taking over control in relatively stable provinces and cities. On 1 May 2011, Al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden, responsible for the 9-11 attacks in New York and Washington, is killed by US forces in Pakistan. The death of America's primary target for a war that started 10 years ago fuels the long-simmering debate about continuing the Afghanistan war. As President Obama prepares to announce the withdrawal of some or all of the 30,000 surge troops in July, congressional lawmakers increasingly call for a hastened drawdown of US troops, though some analysts argue for a sustained military engagement. Meanwhile, anti-Pakistan rhetoric grows in Afghanistan, where officials have long blamed terrorist safe havens in Pakistan for violence in Afghanistan. Afghan President Hamid Karzai reiterates that international forces should focus their military efforts across the border in Pakistan. For years, we have said that the fight against terrorism is not in Afghan villages and houses, he says. President Obama outlines a plan to withdraw 33,000 troops by the summer of 2012. The surge troops sent in December 2009, including 10,000 by the end of 2011. Polls show a record number of Americans do not support the war, and Obama faces pressure from lawmakers, particularly Democrats, to sizably reduce US forces in Afghanistan. After the search troops leave, an estimated 70,000 US troops are scheduled to stay through at least 2014. On October 7, 2011, the U.S. war in Afghanistan marks its 10th anniversary, with about 100,000 U.S. troops deployed in a counterinsurgency role, primarily in southern and eastern regions. President Barack Obama plans to withdraw all combat troops by 2014, but serious doubts remain about the Afghan government's capacity to secure the country. Amid a resilient insurgency, U.S. goals in Afghanistan remain uncertain and terrorist safe havens in Pakistan continue to undermine U.S. efforts. Ten years after the first international conference that discussed Afghanistan's political future, dozens of countries and organizations meet again in Bonn, Germany on 5th December 2011 to devise a roadmap of cooperation beyond the international troop withdrawal in 2014. Afghan President Hamid Karzai says the country will require... 10 billion dollars annually over the next decade to shore up security and reconstruction and commits to tackling corruption in exchange for continued international assistance. The conference fails to achieve its objectives that was to lay down a blueprint for Afghanistan's transition to a self-sustaining and secure government. As the insurgency continues to rage, in Pakistan, a crucial player refuses to attend. In March 2012, the Taliban cancels talks and the US-Afghan tensions flare. This can be traced back to January 2012 when the Taliban strikes a deal to open an office in Qatar, a move toward peace talks that the United States sees as a crucial part of a political settlement to ensure a stable Afghanistan. But two months later, the Taliban suspends preliminary talks accusing Washington of re on promises to take meaningful steps towards a prisoner swap. In February, U.S. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta announces the Pentagon's plan to conclude combat missions by as early as mid-2013 and shift to a primarily security assistance role in Afghanistan. Meanwhile, several incidents serve as blows to the international mission, including an accidental burning of Qurans by US troops and allegations that a US soldier murdered at least 16 Afghan villagers. President Hamid Karzai demands that foreign troops be withdrawn from village outposts and confined to military bases, which analysts say would greatly accelerate the pace of transition from NATO to Afghan control. Afghan forces take the lead in security responsibility nationwide as NATO hands over control of the remaining 95 districts in June 2013. The US-led coalition's focus shifts to military training and special operations-driven counter-terrorism. The handover occurs on the same day as the announcement that Taliban and US officials will resume talks in Doha, Qatar, where the Taliban has just opened an office. President Hamid Karzai Believing the office will confer legitimacy on the insurgent group and serve as a diplomatic outpost, suspends negotiations with the United States. With its mandate expiring in December 2014, the United States must negotiate a bilateral security agreement with the Karzai government to maintain a military presence. President Obama announces a timetable for withdrawing most US forces from Afghanistan by the end of 2016 on 27 May 2014. The first phase of his plan calls for 9,800 US troops to remain after the combat mission concludes at the end of 2014, limited to training Afghan forces and conducting operations against the remnants of Al-Qaeda. Obama says the drawdown will free resources counter-terrorism priorities elsewhere. Some analysts point to the insurgency's resilience and question the plan's rigidity. Both candidates, vying to succeed President Hamid Karzai, have promised to sign the security agreement that is a prerequisite after almost three years when Ghani and Abdullah agreed to form a unity government after signing a power-sharing agreement. On 13 April 2017, The United States drops its most powerful non-nuclear bomb on suspected, self-proclaimed Islamic State militants at a cave complex in eastern Nangarhar province. The weapon, known as the mother of all bombs, comes as newly elected President Donald Trump delegates decision-making authorities to commanders, including the possibility of adding several thousand US troops to the nearly 9,000 already deployed there. At the same time, the Taliban appears to be as strong as ever and the US military describes the war as a stalemate. Kabul experiences suicide bombings on a scale never before seen while the Taliban control or contest more than a third of the country. US Marines are once again dispatched to Helmand Province. On 21 August 2017, President Trump outlines his Afghanistan policy in an address to troops in Arlington, VA, saying that though his original instinct was to pull out, he will instead press ahead with an open-ended military commitment to prevent the emergence of a vacuum for terrorists. Differentiating his policy from Obama's, Trump says decisions about withdrawal will be based on conditions on the ground, rather than arbitrary timelines. He invites India to play a greater role in rebuilding Afghanistan while castigating Pakistan for harboring insurgents. He also pledges to loosen restrictions on combat even as the United Nations reports an uptick in civilian casualties caused by Afghan and coalition airstrikes. A political settlement with the Taliban, Trump says, is far off. In January 2018, the Taliban carry out a series of blood terror attacks in Kabul that kill more than 115 people amid a broader upsurge in violence. The attacks come as the Trump administration implements its Afghanistan plan, deploying troops across rural Afghanistan to advise Afghan brigades in launching airstrikes against opium labs to try to decimate the Taliban's finances. The administration also cuts off security assistance worth billions of dollars to Pakistan for what President Trump called its lies and deceit in harbouring Taliban militants. Critiques of the national unity government say domestic politics, notably a showdown with the provincial governor, have distracted President Ghani from security. In February 2019, US-Taliban peace talks takes a progress. Negotiations between the United States and the Taliban in Doha enter their highest level yet, building on momentum that began in late 2018. The talks between US Special Envoy Zalmay Khalidzad and top Taliban official Mullah Abdul Ghani Baradar center on the United States withdrawing its troops from Afghanistan in exchange for the Taliban pledging to block international terrorist groups from operating on Afghan soil. The ramped-up diplomacy follows signals that President Trump plans to pull out 7,000 troops, about half the total US deployment. Khalidzad says the United States will insist that the Taliban agree to participate in an intra-Afghan dialogue on the country's political structure as well as a ceasefire. It is unclear whether Trump will condition the troop withdrawal on those terms. On 7 September 2019, President Trump abruptly breaks off peace talks a week after top US negotiator Khalilzad announced that an agreement had been reached in principle with Taliban leaders. In a tweet, Trump says he cancelled a secret meeting with the Taliban and Afghan President Ghani at Camp David after a US soldier was killed in a Taliban attack. The Taliban says it's committed to continuing negotiation but warns that the cancellation will cause an increase in the number of deaths. On 29 February 2020, US envoy Khalilzad and the Taliban's Baradar sign an agreement that paves the way for a significant drawdown of US troops in Afghanistan and includes guarantees from the Taliban that the country will not be used for terrorist activities. The four-page agreement was signed at the Sheraton Grand Doha in Doha, Qatar. And published on the US State Department's website. The agreement provided for the withdrawal of all NATO forces from Afghanistan in return for a Taliban pledge to prevent Al-Qaeda from operating in areas under Taliban control as well as ongoing talks between the Taliban and the Afghan government. The United States agreed to an initial reduction of its force level from thirteen thousand to eight thousand six hundred within one hundred thirty five days, that is by July twenty twenty, followed by a full withdrawal within fourteen months, that is, by first may 2021, if the Taliban keeps its commitments. The United States also committed to closing five military bases within one hundred thirty five days and expressed its intent to end economic sanctions on the Taliban by 27th August 2020. The deal says intra-Afghan negotiations should begin the following month. But Afghan President Ghani says the Taliban must meet his government's own conditions before it enters talks. The US-Taliban deal doesn't call for an immediate ceasefire and in the days after its signing, Taliban fighters carry out dozens of attacks on Afghan security forces. US forces respond with an air strike against the Taliban in the southern province of Helmand. On 12 September 2020, representatives of the Taliban and of the Afghan government and civil society meet face-to-face for the first time in Doha, Qatar after nearly 20 years of war. The direct negotiations which were delayed for months over a prisoner swap proposed in the earlier US-Taliban deal begin after the Afghan government completes the release of 5,000 Taliban prisoners. During opening remarks, both sides express eagerness to bring peace to Afghanistan and establish a framework for Afghan society after US troops withdraw. The government pushes for a ceasefire while the Taliban reiterates its call for the country to be governed through an Islamic system. On 17th November 2020, Acting U.S. Defense Secretary Christopher C. Miller announces plans to halve the number of troops in Afghanistan to 2,500 by mid-January, days before President-elect Joe Biden will be inaugurated. Thousands of troops had already been pulled out following an agreement with the Taliban in February, moving closer to fulfilling President Trump's campaign promise to end the so-called forever wars. The announcement comes as negotiations between the Afghan government and the Taliban are deadlocked and the militant group continues to launch deadly attacks. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg warns that withdrawing troops too early could allow Afghanistan to become a haven for terrorists and the Islamic State to rebuild its caliphate. On fourteenth April 2021, President Biden announces that the United States will not meet the deadline set under the US-Taliban agreement to withdraw all troops by 1st May and instead releases a plan for a full withdrawal by 11 September 2021. It's time to end America's longest war, he says. The remaining 3,500 troops in Afghanistan will be withdrawn regardless of whether progress is made in intra-Afghan peace talks or the Taliban reduces its attacks on Afghan security forces and citizens. NATO troops in Afghanistan will also leave. Bidin says Washington will continue to assist Afghan security forces and support the peace process. The Taliban says it will not participate in any conference on Afghanistan's future until all foreign troops leave. On the infamous date, 15th August 2021, Afghan government collapses as the Taliban takes Kabul. Facing little resistance. Taliban fighters overrun the capital, Kabul, and take over the presidential palace hours after President Ghani leaves the country. Taliban leaders say they will hold talks with Afghan officials to form an open, inclusive Islamic government. Former Afghan President Karzai and Abdullah, formerly the chief executive under Ghani, creates a council to facilitate a peaceful transition to a Taliban government. The takeover follows the Taliban's rapid advance during which it captured all but two of Afghanistan's provincial capitals and seized border crossings. Afghan security forces in some areas reportedly negotiated surrenders and avoided fighting the Taliban. The next day, on August 16, 2021, President Biden says his administration made the right decision in ending US military involvement in Afghanistan arguing that the US counter mission is complete. But he acknowledges that the troop withdrawal has been messy and blames Afghan security forces for failing to counter the Taliban. Meanwhile, the United States deploys 6,000 troops to evacuate US and allied personnel and secure Kabul's international airport where chaos erupts as thousands of Afghans attempt to flee. Biden says the military will help evacuate thousands of Afghans who worked with the United States and he expands refugee status access for vulnerable Afghans. On August 26, 2021, 13 US service members are killed and at least 18 are injured in an attack at a checkpoint outside the Kabul airport, where thousands of people are being evacuated. They are the first US service members killed in action in Afghanistan, since February 2020. At least 60 Afghans are also killed and dozens more injured in the attack. President Biden vows to take action against the Islamic State in Khorasan, which claims responsibility, and to continue the evacuation at least until the August 31 troop withdrawal deadline. At a press conference on August 17, Taliban spokesman Zabihullah Mujahid promises an inclusive government security for aid agencies and embassies and women's rights to work and go to school within his group's interpretation of Sharia law. A suicide bombing takes place on twenty sixth August outside Kabul's international airport as the chaotic evacuation of tens of thousands of Afghans, Americans and others continues. On 29 August, the US carries out its second drone strike on suspected ISIS-K suicide bombers since the airport attack. An Afghan family says 10 relatives, including children, were killed in the strike. The Pentagon is still investigating. On 30th August, US Central Command General Frank McKenzie announces the last planes have departed, marking the end of the military evacuation effort and America's war in Afghanistan. The Taliban celebrate what they call full independence and for many Afghans, especially those wanting but unable to leave the country, a new era of painful uncertainty begins. A report from the American Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, released on 17th August, found that the US had struggled to develop and implement a coherent strategy for the war and that if the goal was to rebuild and leave a country that could sustain itself and pose little threat to US national security interests, the overall picture is bleak. The report also found that the US prioritized internal political interests instead of Afghan interests, that it had demonstrated ignorance of local context and had wasted billions of dollars on unsustainable and bureaucratic projects. David E. Sanger, a New York Times correspondent, analyzed the decision to leave Afghanistan by Joe Biden and consequently the manner of the fall of Kabul as the result of four basic assumptions or miscalculations. First, that there was enough time before the Afghan government collapsed for the US to withdraw. Second, that the Afghan forces had the same drive to win as the Taliban did. third that there was a well-planned system for evacuating the embassy and, fourth, Afghans who had helped the US and their families and that if the Taliban made it to Kabul, that there would be a bloody block-by-block civil war taking place in its streets. On 22nd August, the Daily Telegraph reported that President Joe Biden's aides were too scared to question him on key decisions made in the run-up to the US withdrawal from Afghanistan Sources close to the administration have told the Telegraph. With this, I come to an end to one of the most horrifying tales of the war in modern world. This was your host Aman Chaudhary, and I will see you in the next episode of A Lawyer Speaks. Till then, follow my blog on WordPress and Instagram with the name of A Lawyer Writes. Thank you everyone for listening to the episode. Stay tuned for the next episode. Till then. Stay safe and take care and ponder yourself to the question, who is to blame for the fall of Afghanistan? Taliban? Afghan government? NATO? The US? Or Joe Biden?